Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. My family and I moved up here to Cedar Falls about eight years ago, and for four of those years, I've been an elder here at Candeo. And I can tell you that over the course of at least my time as an elder here at this church, that the thing that has caused the most heartache, the thing that has uh, been the focal point of, uh, of has consumed the, the most time, you could say, in our discussions, the it's, it hasn't been our budget, it hasn't been our ministries, it hasn't been our music, it hasn't been whether to do this sermon series or that sermon series, it, it hasn't been masks, vaccines, COVID, or politics, believe it or not. But the thing that has, the, the single issue that, if I look over these last four years, that has consumed the most like emotional energy of our elders has been marriages. I'm not necessarily talking about our marriages, though we've all had our, our rough seasons and that we've walked through together, but it's been the time that our elders have stepped into marriages that are completely falling apart. And our hardest times have been when we've labored with people to fight for their marriage, and there comes a point where it seems as though we're fighting for their marriage more than they're fighting for their marriage. And so, and we aren't perfect shepherds. Uh, we do our best. We make mistakes like all the time. And we try to own up to those. But um, the hardest times have been when we've encountered people who are in, a, are in a spot in their marriage where it seems like they're just so hell-bent on doing what they want to do. Like they've already started down the divorce track and it's as though they got in the train, got it going, and then broke the brake handle off. And so anyone who like tries to go, hey, wait, 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 is an enemy or is in the way and gets run over. Our, our team and, and some of us individually have been maligned. We've been mischaracterized. We've even had lawsuits levied against our church because our elders would even think to enter in to a church discipline process with a member. The issue of divorce is deeply personal for us as a team, for us individually, and, and I can imagine in a room this size that the issue of divorce is probably deeply personal for you as well. Some of you probably grew up in a home that was broken by divorce, torn apart by it. You, maybe you remember as a kid the fights. Maybe you remember the, the awkward parking lot transfers where now it's, it's the other parent's turn to have you for the weekend or for a certain amount of time. Maybe some of you were older when your parents got divorced, and it was, it was as though maybe they kind of held on to the marriage just so you could get through high school until you moved out of the house, and then it seemed like everything all of a sudden fell apart and they got divorced. Some of you have personally been through painful and messy divorce, a divorce situation. I, I suppose you could say all divorces are painful and messy. Some of you might right now currently be pursuing divorce. And maybe there's other, others of you who you're in a rough spot in your marriage right now. The thought of divorce has come into your mind, but you have not yet said anything to your spouse about it. You haven't brought, brought it up. Now, for some of you, 
Maybe right now your marriage is going totally fine. Or maybe for you, you're single. And so as we start talking, as we start looking at a passage that talks about marriage and divorce and remarriage, uh, you're going, I'm actually more concerned about finding a date than I am about staying married, right? Like, I am not there yet. Wherever you're at this morning, I think that our text has something very specific to say to your situation. And, and I need to say at the very beginning of a, of a sermon like this that it, it is impossible for me to be able to address every situation, every possible relational situation that is represented in this room. And so it's, it's very likely that if you and I were sitting across the table from one another at coffee, uh, I'd be able to address that a little bit more specifically. But what I hope to do this morning is I wanna do three things. I wanna give some basic biblical principles of marriage. I wanna look at what the Bible says about divorce and remarriage. And then I wanna hopefully give some uh, helpful, wise pastoral wisdom for the messy situations uh, that we might encounter. So we're in Matthew chapter five, and here we are again. If you've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount series with us, uh, you'll, you'll know that Jesus has been uh, doing this over and over again where he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And we talked several weeks ago about how Jesus, when he does this, he isn't, um, he isn't correcting the law. He isn't challenging the law. He isn't saying you have read or it is written. He's saying you have heard it said, but I say to you. And so what he's doing is he is challenging and he's correcting what was a misinterpretation of God's law. Because what they had done is they had taken God's law and they had reinterpreted it in such a way that the full weight of the law was actually lost. The spirit of the law was totally lost. And so now Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount gets to the issue of divorce. We actually see this later on in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 19, when the Pharisees come up to Jesus and they're trying to trick him and they ask him this question. They say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? You see what's going on here is that what they cared about was what they really, really cared about was what are the exceptions, what are the concessions? Like, give us a rule. Draw for us a line in the sand so we can know whether or not someone is breaking the law. Like, Jesus, when is it okay to get divorced? We do this all the time. For example, it seems like this conversation happens a lot with college students. I think it's just because a lot of them are dating. They're not quite married yet. And so the question that comes up is, uh, when it comes to the, the physical aspect of a dating relationship, the question often comes up, how far is too far? Can, can we kiss? Can we, can we, can we hold it? What, what, can we, what can we do? What can't we do? Give us a line. Give us a rule. Okay? Like, give us, give us the exceptions. Or maybe we do this with, uh, with money, with, with giving, where... We can very easily want to draw a line and we go something like, uh, am, I, am, I supposed to, am I supposed to tithe 10% of my gross income or my net income? And now if you're like me, you're like, I don't quite know the difference. I have a hard time. You finance people, get it? I don't. Or, or 
Is it, is it 10% of my gross or my net, or, or is, it, is it okay if I give a, a percentage of this to the church and a percentage of this to this organization, a percentage of this to, like, like, give me a rule. Give me a rule for generosity so that way I can know if I'm breaking it or if I'm not. Like, give me, give me the exceptions. But look at how Jesus answers them in Matthew 19. Here's what he says. He says, haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Do you, do you notice that Jesus doesn't exactly answer their question? At least yet. He doesn't start off by answering the question. They, they said, is it lawful to divorce? Uh, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? And while they were looking for the exceptions, while they were looking for the concessions, Jesus was concerned about God's intentions. They cared about exceptions. We care about exceptions. God cares about his intentions. So before Jesus ever gets to answering their question about the issue of divorce, he says, let me tell you about God's intentions for marriage. So before we get into the issue of is there ever a time in the Bible where someone can legitimately get divorced, we need to talk about what, were God's, what, what are God's intentions for marriage? And what marriage is meant to be, according to the Bible, is that marriage is meant to be the union of one man and one woman in a covenant relationship for life. That's the Bible's definition of marriage, one man, one woman in a covenant relationship for life. Where do we see this? Just specifically in Matthew 19, we see one man and one woman. He says uh, in verse four, haven't you read that, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? So one man and one woman entering into an exclusive covenant relationship. Verse five of Matthew 19, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. The two separate people will become one in the context of the covenant relationship of marriage and then for life in verse six. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. The union of one man and one woman, a covenant relationship for life. That's what marriage is. That's what it is. But now we have to ask the question, why is it? Why is marriage? What, what, is, what is the grand purpose of marriage? We see in Ephesians chapter five, I promise you we're gonna get back to Matthew five here, but we see in Ephesians chapter five, the apostle Paul uses this exact scripture that Jesus uses in Matthew 19, and he says this, this will sound familiar, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then here's what Paul says, this is so fascinating. He says, this mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. You see, this whole time in Matthew 5, verses 22 through 31, it seems like Paul is talking about marriage, which he is, but he gets to the end of his explanation of what marriage is, and he says, actually, guess what? I'm talking about Christ and the church. Have you ever built with Legos before? Who's, who's, who's built something with Legos? Of course you have. Le Legos have been around since humanity started building things. Like, it was like, it was like the wheel, and then they're like Legos, right? And so uh, 
I love Legos. I grew up playing with Legos. My, we were just at my parents' house this weekend, and my, my six-year-old son is off in, the, off in the room with the bucket of Legos that I played with as a kid, and he's got his own bucket of Legos that his, you know, his kids will probably play with. But my son and I love playing with Legos, and so a few months ago, uh, I was at Target, and I, was, I always go to the Lego section at Target because I'm, I'm actually a seven-year-old boy. And so, uh, and they've actually, and if you have not been to the Lego section at Target, please go. It has changed, all right? There are way cool things. So I'm at the Lego section, and I see, uh, this is not a piece of equipment. This is just hiding my illustration. So I get this. So I couldn't help myself. It was on sale. And uh, <laughs> it's actually the tallest Lego thing they make. All right, so if you go, what's the tallest Lego thing I can build? It's the, it's the Empire State Building. So I got this, I brought it home, and this is a 1,767-piece model of the Empire State Building. It took Judah and I five nights to put this together. And, you know, I mean, you can see, like, these little yellow things. Those are the taxis you know, waiting outside the Empire State Building. It, it, probably, it looks cooler up close. All right, so just come up and you're like, it's just a gray blob, big deal. Like, congratulations, Jake, you put a box together. So uh, it's cooler up close, so come look at it after the service. But here's what happened. When Judah and I were putting this together, it's pretty redundant too, you can tell. Um, here's, here's, what, here's what he didn't do. We didn't get done. The last piece was this spire, actually. It's a little flimsy, but here's what he didn't do. We didn't get done, put the last piece on top, and then he didn't look at it and go, Dad, how are we going to get inside that thing? Why? It's because... He knows, you know, if you've ever played with Legos, you know that this, at best, is a scale model of a greater reality. It's a scale model of a greater reality. It's kind of, it's kind of like in Zoolander. You ever see Zoolander? Don't see Zoolander if you haven't. It's not a great movie, but it's like when like, they make the... He's like, what is this, a school for ants? You know, it's like, it's, it's a scale model. He totally missed it, right? It's a scale model of a greater reality. And that's what marriage is. That's what Paul means when he says this mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. You see, human marriage has always been about being a scale model of the covenant relationship that God has with his people for eternity. Marriage is a scale model of Christ's relationship with his church. That's why marriage exists. Marriage does not ultimately exist for your happiness, though I do hope that you are happy in your marriage. Marriage does not ultimately exist for your satisfaction, though I do hope that you are satisfied in your marriage. No, marriage ultimately exists to serve as a scale model. Marriage is God's Lego set to put before the world to say, you think that relationship's great? You think that relationship's loving? You think that relationship is intimate and beautiful? Just imagine how great the real thing is. Just imagine how much I love you. Just imagine how much I pursue you. Just imagine how much I care about you. 
And so because these are God's intentions for marriage, Jesus takes marriage and divorce seriously. Because marriage doesn't just ultimately say something about you. Marriage ultimately says something about God. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 31, here's what Jesus says. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You see, in this time, it was, it was most often and fairly easy for a man to divorce his wife, but it was only in very rare circumstances that a woman could actually divorce her husband. And so if a woman was sent out of her home by a man without this like divorce certificate, if he hadn't like officially divorced her, she would be unable to get remarried. And in, in that time, what that meant was that that put the woman in an incredibly vulnerable position in society. And, and so single women, women who had been sent out of their homes by their husband without a certificate of divorce, unable to remarry, and because they're in a vulnerable spot, they would often be forced into, I suppose you could say by the circumstances, uh, into providing for themselves, which there are very few opportunities, which unfortunately would often lead to them to pursuing a life of prostitution. And so this divorce certificate was actually God's way of protecting women so that they wouldn't be put in this incredibly vulnerable situation. But what was happening was that the Jews at the time, they were taking this divorce certificate law that is in Deuteronomy 24. Here's what it says. This divorce certificate law comes from Deuteronomy 24, and it says, if a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he may write her a divorce certificate, hand it to her, and send her away from his house. And what they were doing is they were taking that something indecent about her, part of the law, and they were interpreting that to mean anything I don't like. She burns the dinner, get out of here. Some of you are like, oh boy. <laughs> she burns the dinner, she says something I don't like. She isn't attractive as she used to be, which by the way, dude, you probably aren't either. She forgets to water the plants. She forgets to feed the dog. And I can just write up a certificate and away she goes. So they, what they were doing is they were taking this law that was meant to protect women and they were reinterpreting it to justify divorce for any reason. In essence, what they were doing is they were making divorce as easy as possible. And what Jesus is doing here in Matthew chapter five is he's saying, hey, not so fast. You can't get divorced or remarried unless it's for a very specific reason and a very specific circumstance. And what are the legitimate reasons in God's eyes for divorce? He gives us two. He gives us one here in Matthew chapter five. Then we get another one from the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7. And the two legitimate reasons, biblical, biblically legitimate reasons for divorce are sexual immorality, adultery, Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, and abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 20, or verse 15. 1 Corinthians 7, 15 says, but if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or sister is not bound in such cases. In such cases, meaning when an unbeliever abandons the relationship. 
God has called you to live in peace. And so back to Matthew 19, I know I'm jumping around a lot, but I think this is really important that we see God's vision for marriage and, his, uh, and the circumstances for divorce and remarriage. Back to Matthew 19, where Jesus lays out God's intention for marriage. They respond and they say, why then did Moses command us to give divorce papers and send her away? To which Jesus responds, Moses permitted you to divorce. See the difference in words. Why did Moses command us? He says, Moses did not command you. Moses permitted you to do that. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. In other words, there are, while, while there are two circumstances in Scripture where God allows for divorce, where divorce may not be sinful, every divorce is a result of sin because it is not in accordance with God's original intention for marriage. So what does this mean for remarriage? Man, this is a hard teaching. Just, just full disclosure here. Left to my own, just as your pastor, left to my own, I don't want it to be this way. but I'm not under the authority of my preferences. We have to be under the authority of the word of God. And what this means for remarriage is that when a divorce happens under circumstances that scripture doesn't permit, any subsequent remarriage to someone other than the original spouse results in adultery. That's what Jesus teaches in Matthew 5:32, in Matthew 19:9, and in Mark 10, 10 through 12 which I know for some of you begs the question, so what do I do since I have already been divorced, not for these two reasons, and I've already been remarried? I will get to that in a couple minutes here. So in circumstances where divorce is not permissible, remarriage is also not permissible, and in circumstances where divorce is permissible, remarriage is also permissible. This includes uh, when your spouse dies. We see that in Romans chapter seven. Verse three, so in infidelity and abandonment, those are the two biblical exceptions for divorce, but it needs to be stated that while those are the exceptions, like while divorce may be permissible in those cases, divorce is not commanded. It may be permitted, but it's not required. Because remember, marriage is meant to be a scale model, a picture of Christ and his church It's supposed to be a picture to the world that says that since marriage is like that, God must be like that. You see, we live in a time where divorce is a totally normal, natural thing to do. It's very easy. But if if we understand the deep oneness, the deep connection that marriage was designed to be, then, then kingdom people, then Christians, we need to see divorce less like changing our clothes and more like amputating a limb. You see the difference? You probably change your clothes a lot. I hope you do. My guess is you probably don't amputate limbs a lot. Some, some of our best friends in the whole world are uh, Steve and Lexi Osta guy. You might know them. They came here, they now live in Des Moines. And Steve is a foot surgeon, a podiatric surgeon. I think that's, I'm probably saying that wrong. Uh, that's why he's a surgeon and I'm not. So. 
He's a foot surgeon. And, and, one, and a joke that we often make in our house is that whenever our kids like, like stub their toe or something, we'll go, should we call Mr. Steve to have him come cut it off? You know? And Steve makes all these dumb jokes. He's like, he's like yeah, call the tow truck and all that kind of, all those kinds of things. It's like, dude, well done. He's a dad. He's the master of dad jokes. But, <laughs> and it's a joke because in the, in the kids roll their eyes at us because they just know. It's like, no, come on. It's a joke because we all know that any doctor, any surgeon would be or should be run out of town if like their first instinct in any situation is, well, let's just cut it off. Stub your toe, cut it off. Scrape your elbow, cut it off. God hope you don't get a headache because like, just cut it off. <laughs> okay. And any society who prescribes divorce as often as possible should also be run out of town. Divorce can happen. Divorce does happen and it can be survived. Divorce is not the unforgivable Sin, But what Jesus is saying is that kingdom people, is that Christians should take marriage as seriously, if not more seriously, than amputating an actual limb. So that's what God says about marriage. That's what he says about divorce and remarriage. It is a hard teaching. So finally, how should this inform how we navigate the messy seasons of life? I think it's at this point that I need to say that when it comes to instances of abuse, of drug addiction, of a never-ending addiction to pornography, of a man who just continues to gamble away everything that the family has, I want to say a couple things to those situations, all right? So firstly, if you are in a situation that is abusive, your first step is not to decide whether or not you should get divorced. That is not your first step. Your first step is to get yourself and your kids, if there are kids involved, is to get yourself to a place of safety. And if necessary, to notify law enforcement. It is, it, is, it is not your job, and it is in fact not biblical, I would say, for you to stay in an abusive relationship when in, when in fact there are instances, they are breaking the law. You are not obligated to enable them in their law breaking. Get to a place of safety, and if necessary, notify law enforcement. And then secondly, uh, if that's your situation, I would say that I could envision in extreme cases where the elders might conclude that, that the abuser or the addict, though they haven't physically abandoned the relationship, that because of the, because of the severity of the addiction or of the abuse, that, that that is tantamount to abandoning the relationship. Like I said, I can't speak to every situation. These situations are messy. They are in great need of wisdom and must be treated individually in the context of biblical community, of wise shepherding, and at times with the help of law enforcement. So now some of you might be sitting here and you've already been divorced. And not only that, you, you've already been divorced 
And you know that your divorce was not according to what is biblically permissible. And not only that, but you are actually remarried. And now maybe you're thinking, what in the world should I do? I think that the principle in 1 Corinthians 7 applies here where Paul says, remain in the, in the situation in which you are called. You see, don't add to the past sin of a biblically impermissible divorce or a biblically impermissible remarriage. Don't add to that with another divorce. Here's what I'd say to you. I'd say repent and receive God's grace. Repent of that past sin and receive and recognize the current grace of God toward you in your, situa- in your situation. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. And here's what I'd say. Make your current marriage what your previous marriage should have been all along. A picture of God's covenant relationship with Christ in his church. So that's for those in, in the horrible situations of abuse, for those who are divorced and possibly remarried. What about um, you who are married, but your marriage is on the edge? Stay married and talk with someone. Stay married and talk with someone. I have encountered too many marriages that have totally fallen apart by, that by the time that the people in that marriage have actually talked with someone about their problems, they, they have already gone so far down the road of brokenness that it's incredibly difficult to bring it back together. It's not impossible, but incredibly difficult. Talk to people in your connection group. Talk to one of us your pastors, like, don't give up on your marriage. Just like broken bones can be healed with time, broken marriages can be healed. Don't just give up. Stay in the fight. Fight longer than you think you should. Fight longer than you want to. This is not like changing clothes. This is like amputating a limb. Now, some of you, possibly many of you, are married, and your marriage is going great. Praise God. Praise God that your marriage is going awesome. And here's what I'd say to you from this, from this passage. Keep going. Don't get complacent. Don't hit cruise control. Because the minute that in your marriage that you hit cruise control, it's very, very likely that you will drift apart. Slowly but surely, over time. See, one thing I've noticed, I've been a pastor for like, 12 years, which for some is long, for others it's just beginning. Here's something I've noticed, is that in marriages that are broken or on their way to becoming broken, is that the men will tend to ruin their marriage through lazy boredom. And here's what I mean. Is that men become lazy and complacent and that they stop investing in their marriage and they actually become bored with their wife and so they start looking for some sort of excitement somewhere else, whether that's in another woman or in the other woman of pornography. It's just this lazy boredom. But here's what I've also noticed is that 
What has often happened, not all the time, clearly, but what can often happen is that while the men tend to ruin their marriage through lazy boredom, through passivity, what I've seen is that women can tend to ruin their marriage through the pursuit of personal freedom. And here's how this generally has looked. Is that the woman will stay in the marriage because the kids are there. They want to have a stable environment for the children. But once the kids are out of the house, she's done with the mom stuff. She's done with the wife stuff. She's, and gets really, really involved in like, like personal self-help and, 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 and kind of a warning flag that you can almost tell just by looking at social media is when all of a sudden the pictures change from things with the family to just individual pictures of herself kind of working on herself on self-help. And what she's doing is she's trying to experience all the freedom that she, that she didn't feel that she had throughout the course of the marriage and the parenting. Here's the thing for both, for men and women here. There's no such thing as caring for yourself and not caring for your marriage. No such thing. Guys, I know you like your hobbies. There's no such thing as caring for yourself and not caring for your marriage. Women, you should take care of yourself. I'm not saying like, like you are like a slave and you're, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is there is no such thing as caring for yourself and not caring for your marriage. That's what one flesh means. So treat your marriage, married people, treat your marriage like a garden. Have you ever planted a garden? If you planted a garden, you know that what you don't do is you don't plant the garden, you dump like 10 gallons of water on it and then walk away for the summer. You don't do that. When you plant a garden, you plant it, you water it, and then you come back the next day and you cultivate it. You water it some more. You tend to the weeds. You put a fence around it so those demon rabbits don't come and like eat everything, right? You cultivate it. You protect it. There has never been a garden that ever stayed healthy by being neglected. Not one. Good luck finding that garden. Continue to actively cultivate your marriage. And finally, to the single person who, at this point, it's very possible you've had a hard time connecting the dots here because, like I said, you're more concerned about getting married maybe than staying married. So what does this mean for single people? What in the world are you supposed to do with a message like this? Here's what I'd say. Don't miss the reality that human marriage is not the ultimate prize. Human marriage is not the ultimate prize. Marriage is great, marriage is good, marriage is a gift, but even the greatest marriages are simply, at best, scale models of the ultimate reality, of the true and greater marriage that is yours in Christ, that you will, if you are a believer in Christ, you will one day sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb. If you're, if you're single and you desire marriage, that's great. Marriage is good, but marriage is not ultimate, which means that if you're a believer in Christ and you are single, that you can know that a life of singleness is not a life without love. And you can know that a life of singleness is not a life without family, that because you are engrafted into the body of Christ, 
that you can enjoy the inclusive love of biblical friendship and you can enjoy the care of spiritual family within the context of the church. So marriage is good, single people. If you desire that, that's great. But do not become so focused on the scale model that you miss the great reality, the marriage that is yours in Christ. So brothers and sisters, fight for covenant faithfulness in your marriages. Fight for covenant faithfulness in your marriages because God has been faithful to you. Value your marriage. Invest in your marriage. Care for your marriage. And as you care for your scale model, do it with diligence and do it with joy. And, but know this. Know this, that no matter how great your spouse, that Jesus is the true and greater spouse, that no matter how great the love you have in your relationship, that Jesus is the true and greater lover, that Jesus is the true and greater protector, and that when all the scale models have passed away, Jesus is the true and greater provider that we will live with for all of eternity because of his great faithfulness to us. Let's pray, church. Oh, Father, great is your faithfulness to us. We are not a perfect bride, but you have made us perfect through the blood of your Son. Oh God, we thank you for your love toward us, your faithfulness toward us. How deep, how wide, how long is your love toward us? Oh Father, I pray that by the power of your spirit, that our relationships, our marriages, our singleness would reflect your great love for your church and the great anticipation we have that one day we will feast with you and enjoy our covenant relationship with you forever. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.